My worship's powerful, and uh, if I haven't got a chance to meet you, I'm Pastor Dustin. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and uh, I've, I've got a word for you today. I want to start uh, a new series uh, called Let My People Go. Let My People Go. These are the words that Moses declared to Pharaoh over and over and over again before the children of Israel uh, walked out of Egypt, slavery in Egypt, and into and onto their way to the promised land. And uh, I want to pick up in Exodus chapter eight. We'll have it on the screen as well. Exodus chapter eight, verse one, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says. I'm just going to tell you, it's really important to know what the Lord says. There's a lot of people saying a lot of things, but I want, I want to know what the, what the Lord says. I, I want to know what he's saying. It says, let him know that the Lord says, let my people go. People love that because we, we like freedom and we like them, children of Israel. We've watched Prince of Egypt and we're rooting for them to get out of slavery. But it says there's a reason why they're coming out. It says, let them go so that they might worship me. Can I tell you this? Tell you this there is a reason for your freedom. There's a reason why God sets you free. Jamie and I, we just got back from some time away, and, and uh, we were able to travel, see some beautiful places. And, and uh, we were actually in the cave where John, on the Isle of Patmos, where John received Revelation, wrote the book of Revelation. I mean, it was, it was incredible. The, the Bible comes alive when you actually walk in places where those things happen. And we were in the cave, and, and there's like this little like crevice in the rock where they say he would lay his head. John, when he would wrote Revelation, he would have been probably 80, 85 years old. And he would lay there. He had a scribe that was writing the book of Revelation. And uh, there's a little, like, handhold in the rock. And scholars believe he would put his hand in that handhold to stand up because he was old. And so uh, it was still there. So I, like, put my hand in the... I was like, oh, man. I put my hand in the same place John the Revelator has put his hand on. It was, then I realized there's probably millions of people <laughs> that had put their hand in the same exact... So I've, I've been washing that hand extra, okay? Just... That's just, that's, we, we got to see where, where Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, lived after Jesus died, was rose again, ascended to heaven. When Jesus looked down and said, take care of my mom, we saw where the house was built, we toured the house. And uh, I, I found this out about tours that's, that's really important. The tour is not so much about the place you're touring as much as it is about the guide that is leading you on the tour. Going through Mary's house, she may have laid right here. If you're quiet, you can still hear the whisper of her breath against. Look, it's a ghost. She had like, it's like I'm with you, man. We're taking we're taking selfies and videos, and and then like the last day, we've had these amazing tours, and we were about to go see another place, and and we just got like the JV tour guide. Maybe not even JV. I mean, maybe like. I don't know, volunteer to her guy or something. And, and, and she's, she's like, she hates her life, her job, and, and us. You know, and we're there, and it's the hottest day of the year. It's way too hot to be out touring anywhere. We're climbing a mountain. She takes a wrong turn. We go miles in the other direction. There's no water. We've got some older people on our tour with us. They're gone. They're passing out along the road. Finally, Jamie and I are like, we got to get, get out of here. This is like, this is make or break. And uh, so we just took a, we took a run for it. We had ear set and everything. Just took off. And so uh, we brought the ear set back later, but we were out of there. The tour, I mean, it's, it's, it's gone. And you know, I realized we paid good money for that tour. 
We paid good money to go to that tour. I mean, literally, the tour guide's like, here is a rock. It's older than you are. People are like, serious? This one right here? Like, it's a rock. This is a dance floor where people danced. I'm like, I gave that woman my money. I could, I could, I could do this. And I'm thinking, we gave her money. We stood out in the heat. When there's no water, hiked up a mountain, escaped the tour. And if we went back in a couple months, we'd probably go on the tour again, give them the money again. I realized that, that we have, most Americans have a problem. Texans have a problem. I know this because you will pay $97 a ticket to go to Fair Park, go sit on the grass to listen to a band that's washed up on their last tour through Texas, pay $6 for a bottle of water, $14 for a corn dog, pay a babysitter to watch your kids, fight all the way there, get in a fight on the, at the concert, hate the concert, go back home and Google when they're coming back through again. Like, we have a problem. We're just, we're just like throwing money at these things that we don't even enjoy. Like, I'm, this, I'm on this tour thinking, like, every, every step is like, there's 475, there's 575, and I'm, I'll probably do it again. But it made me start, I'm going somewhere today, if you're new, welcome to church. It made me start thinking about church. I started thinking about, why do we go to church? Why do we do this? Football season started. Next couple Sundays, it's going to be increasingly difficult to, to get to some of the services because football season has started. Most of you Cowboys fans, you don't care. It, oh, that's not nice. 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 I can't say that because, yeah, anyways. My team, it, Why do we do this? Why do we gather? Why do we come together? And I thought, if you took the spiritual elements out of why we meet away, so you take out the fact that the presence of God's here. It's a pretty good reason to gather right there. But just take that off the table. Take it off the table that the God of the impossible is here in this room and could transform your life in a moment. Take it off the table that the healer is in the room and you could have walked in disease and walk out healed. Take, take all that off the table. Just practically, I started thinking about church. I'm like, free coffee. I don't see Starbucks doing any deals on, like, today it's free, guys. This one's on us. Maybe our coffee's not as good as Starbucks, but still it's free. I mean, where can you get something free? And then I started thinking, like, if you go through a difficult time, like, we have grief counselors. If you're going through a challenge, we have a prayer team. I'm not talking about just Church 1132, but the church in general. I'm thinking, man, we'll do your weddings. We'll do your funerals. We'll walk with your family. You have a baby. We'll send you meals. I mean, this will dedicate your baby, will educate your children. You can leave them with babysitters and pay them. Or you can come, oh, this is great, free childcare. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. If I was an atheist, I would come to church. <laughs> inspirational message, inspirational music, and free childcare. I would go, in fact, this happened years ago. I probably shouldn't even tell you this because some of you are going to get a, a bad idea in your head. But there was a family who used to come to our church, and, 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 and they'd come to the church, and they were always on time, maybe a little bit early to drop off their kids. And then it was date time because then they would go to brunch. <laughs> While we educated their children, preached the word of God, they would come back in just in time to say, Pastor, great message today. Appreciate it. Thank you. I'm like, hold up. I can smell the syrup on your breath. 
say right. To say right. Free childcare. I started thinking about things that you get, free counseling, free support group. You can't get anything free. Some of you paying paying $1,000 a month to a life coach that, uh-oh. I love coaching. If you've actually accomplished something, if you're coaching because you figured out a way to make people pay you to give you advice, come on. Okay, stop. Free coaching, mentoring, community groups age-specific events, seasonal events for the entire family, all of this. And I started thinking, we do a lot as the church that's free, that helps people. Why is it so hard to commit to church? I know some of you are getting ready like, oh, boy, here it comes. No, I, I want to say something different than what you think. I think there's a reason why it's so hard to commit to something so good. Because there's no spiritual warfare, friend, over where you go to the movies. There is no spiritual warfare over watching Coldplay in 105 degree weather on their last tour through Texas for the fourth time. There is no spiritual warfare over happy hour. There's no spiritual warfare over your sports tournament. Some of you woke up this morning like, should we go to church? I don't know. Should we? Let's do it. Come on. Why is it that hard to go get free coffee, free childcare, inspirational message, inspirational music, friendly people shake your hand, and leave feeling better than when you came in? Not even, not even mentioning the spiritual perks. I'm just talking practice. Why? Because there is spiritual warfare over your freedom and over your worship. It's actually not your fault that it's been so hard to commit to church. There is actually spiritual warfare over your life and over the freedom of your heart and the spiritual growth of your life. It should make some of you feel better because, man, it was pretty hard to commit. There's a lot of different churches. Honestly, if I did not know God, I would come to church. I'd be picky, just like you are. I'd be picky. I'd be picky. I'll find a good one, you know. I want good coffee and good child care, like a good play center for the kids. But, but I, I just, I, I would come because it's uplifting. Then there's the spiritual elements, and I start thinking, why is it so hard to commit to a good thing? We have styles, rhythms in our own life, events that we go to. Some events we go to, we pay for. I don't even like going. Some people say, well, you know, I don't want to commit to a church too much. Like, like haven't you heard, like, sometimes churches are like cults. Can I help you with something? Can I just be honest? Your fitness center is more of a cult than the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to prove it to you. I had a membership at a gym. Like, not too far from here. I'm not going to say which one. $9.95 a month. And I had to send them a notarized letter, paper, no digital transaction, a notarized letter to get out of the membership. Friends, that is a cult. If you can't get out of something, that is a cult. You can leave anytime you want. You can come to church. You can leave church. Nobody's at the door saying, but you better sit down. I start thinking about our perspectives about you. It must be warfare. It must be warfare. You know, sometimes if a waiter does a really good job, I'll give him an extra big tip because I like being generous. I like giving a big tip. And never once have I walked away and said, oh, that money grubber trying to get my money. 
Some people come to church with free coffee, free childcare, free events for the whole family, grief counseling, meals for you when you have a baby, and they'll be like, I think they're after my money. <laughs> There's no cover charge. There's no membership fee. We teach the Bible. Do you ever wonder where those thoughts come from? Friends, there's warfare over your spiritual life. That's why it's so hard. That's why we think it's crazy. I never once went to the tour guide and said, you just tried to get my money. You had me taking a selfie with that rock. I could have done that at home. I didn't have to travel here to see that rock. I can see a dance floor. I don't have to travel here. I never once said, you're just trying to steal my money. They're trying to get your money. That's literally what they're trying. That's called business. Did you know what business is? Business is trying to, if you have a business that doesn't make money, guess what? You don't have a business. There is spiritual warfare over the freedom of your heart, your life, and your worship. The children of Israel were in captivity for over 400 years. Some of you just breathe a sigh of relief. Now he's going to the word. I got you. I'm coming for you. 400 years of captivity. God sends Moses a deliverer. Egypt is a type and shadow of the world. It represents the world, us in bondage. Israel always is a type and shadow of the church of Jesus Christ. Moses was a type and shadow of Jesus, our Messiah, that Jesus would be our deliverer, that we would walk into our place of captivity and redeem us, buy us back, bring us into freedom. It's powerful. For many of us in the church, even though you believe in God, you walk with God, we still struggle with bondage. And this is the truth. The enemy would love to ensnare you in some way, in some type of bondage. It's not enough just to be saved, friend. I want you to be free. It's not enough just to come to church on Sunday morning. I want you to be free. The Bible says that God's plan, God's freedom is not just free. It's free indeed. Bondages are anything that you can't get out of. Any behavior or habit that you can't control or stop is an area that God wants to set you free in. I any area, even good things. Fear. It's normal to have fear once in a while. There's healthy fear. But the repetition of fear is a bondage. Anxiety. It's normal to be anxious once in a while. But to be, ha be riddled with anxiety and not to be able to stop it is called bondage. I'm not trying to step on your toes. I'm trying to speak truth to you. These things are bondage. They enslave us. Stress, anger, dread, nightmares, night terrors, perversion, pornography, infirmity, illness, disease. It's bondage. The Bible says that God's will is to heal all. He took his stripes on his back not to heal some, but to heal all. So why am I not healed, pastor? I don't know. That's not my job. The Bible says his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our ways. My job is to believe what he said. And he said by his stripes we were healed. But that's the trick with bondage. Bondage tries to convince you that it's normal. The first time you're infirmed, you think, God, heal me. But after 15 years... You think, I'm just going to have to learn how to live with this. What if the woman with the issue of blood after 12 years thought, I should just live with this? What if the paralyzed man after 38 years at the Pool of Siloam thought, I should just live with this? There, there, is, there is something 
about freedom that is congruent or synonymous with persistence. Understanding that there is something that's available to us that we have to contend for until we step into it. Coveting is a bondage. Jealousy is a bondage. Overeating, gluttony is a bondage. Substance abuse, alcoholism, it's a bondage. Deception, lying, poverty, lack, heaviness, depression. This is what we said earlier. Any behavior or habit that you can't control or stop is an area that God wants to set you free in. The problem with bondage is that it limits your potential in God. It literally holds you back from the fullness that God has for you. And after you haven't experienced freedom for so long, then you accept it as normal. The Bible teaches us that the church, the Greek word is ekklesia, which means called out, called out to assemble. I think we've forgotten that in 2022. I think the church, we think it means called in. No, we're called out. You should look different than the world. You should encounter and deal with stress different than the world. You should post different than the world. You should love different than the world. You should pray different than the world. I, I, I know people that don't even believe in God, that have been in a tough enough situation that they begin to cry out to God. So don't be careful of patting yourself on the back because you pray. Even people that don't believe in God pray when the situation gets bad enough. I'm talking about we need to come out from the world and be separate, which means you don't just pray. You have relationship. You have connection. You have fellowship. There's something about your spiritual life that's different. It's not a check the box. It's something that's real, something that's alive. And if you didn't know that this is available, it's available. Something that is alive, that is full of excitement. People tell me all the time, man, Pastor, you're so fired up. You're, you're so excited. Wow, you're so passionate. Friends, if Jesus really set you free, it'd be very difficult to remain passive. If he really saved you from everything that he saved you from, if you really get a revelation of God's grace and God's love and his goodness and his heart for you, it'd be hard to be, it would be hard to be quiet. Hard to be quiet. The priority of bondage is to get you to settle for a potential that is under the great thing that God has for you. This is interesting. The process of deliverance is this. We think that it's like Moses is walking up to Pharaoh. Here it goes, chapter 8, verse 1. Pharaoh, let my people go. And if I wrote the, the, the story, the heavens would crack open. Lightning bolt comes down, hits Pharaoh. He's dead. Moses takes his little hat, puts it on. He's like, I'm king now. Let's roll. You know, it's like I would just like, but it wasn't like that. He says, he says, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. And this is where most little Christians just say, okay. I'll just be sick all my life. I'll just be depressed all my life. I'll just be poor all my life. I'll just be angry all my life. I just live in yesterday all my life. I just, no, no. Over eight times, Pharaoh says, let my people go. He was persistent. It wasn't the amount of times he said it. He said it until it happened. This is the life of faith, is not saying something one time. The life of faith is saying something until that thing happens. 
And to walk in freedom and deliverance, you are going to have to have a persistence in your faith walk that says, Pharaoh, let my mind go. Pharaoh, let my heart go. Pharaoh, let my kids go. Pharaoh, let this nation go. Pharaoh, let my city go. There's something in you that has to realize that freedom is available. And if you never realize you're bound, you'll never press into freedom. We just, in our world today, we just call things normal. Like, oh, that's just normal you feel that way. No, it's not. It's bondage. Oh, it's just normal that you can't commit. No, it's bondage. It's normal that you can't quit that, stop that. No, that's bondage. And we serve a God who has the power, the ability, and the willingness to set you free. You know, it's an interesting scripture in couple chapters later, Exodus chapter 10, you've probably heard this before, Exodus chapter 10, verse 20, it says, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. You ever read this? I think this is like, it's kind of confusing to me a little bit. Like, God hardened his heart. Like, what if Pharaoh wanted to be a nice guy? It's too bad for you. Your heart's hard. I want it to be soft. No, it's hard. Like, what are you going to do? Don't send the plagues. I want to be soft. No, your heart. Hard heart. God hardened his heart. And I began to look at this and study this. And I've always battled with why did God harden his heart? And the first five plagues that are mentioned in your Bible, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. So he hardened his own heart against God. The next five plagues, it says God hardened his heart. So there was a process that was initialized by Pharaoh that resulted in a hardening of his heart by God. God didn't say your heart is going to be hard. God said, I'm God. The problem with Pharaoh, he said, I'm God. The the, the problem with the hardness of his heart was not if God was going to make his heart hard hard, hard enough or not. It was if if Pharaoh was going to recognize God as the supreme authority. In those days, Pharaoh saw himself as God. This is why when Moses came and did miracles, then he brought the magicians out, and they rivaled the miracles. You can make a, snake, a, sta- a stick go into a snake, my guys can too. And so they would rival. And because he thought he was better than God, the plagues were not God trying to wrestle the Israelites out of Egypt's hand. Most people think, like, send another one, God. We're going to get them one day. Plague seven, come on, give them the flies, God. Give them the flies. It wasn't that. It was that Pharaoh decided, I won't let him go because you can't tell me what to do because I'm God. So what Pharaoh encountered was the judgment of God over him taking the place of God. I'll read it to you like this. Many commentators propose that when the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, what it really means is that God simply facilitated a process that Pharaoh himself initiated. God hardened Pharaoh's heart by proving he was God. That was the hardening of the heart. He says, nope, you're not God, I am. That hardened the situation. Does it make sense? It hardened his heart. It is a biblical axiom that revelation, devoid of illuminating grace, hardens sinful hearts. As someone else has said, the same sun that melts the wax can harden the clay. It wasn't about God hardening. It was about Pharaoh refusing to acknowledge. 
And when you set yourself up as God, you compete with God. Friends, it wasn't God's anger that got in the way. It was just who God was. He's that big and that powerful that when a man says, I'm equal to you, that supremacy is seen, and it's seen in this situation. This is not their freedom. The children of Israel's freedom was not about permission. Pharaoh says, oh, yeah, you can take them. They kept on saying, Pharaoh, let my people go, but it was not about permission. It was about persistence. And I would propose this to you, that freedom and the life of freedom is not about permission. Devil, please let me go. Please let me go. No, no, it's about persistence. Pharaoh, let my mind go. Pharaoh, let my mind go. Write it down. What's the bondage? What's the struggle? Every morning, get up. You tell the enemy to get his hands off your life. Get his hands off of your business. You make a declaration and decide to be persistent in that stance. I will not succumb to the bondage of Egypt, to the bondage of my past life or the past history, past chapter of my life. I am leaning into the freedom that is available. The text says that he set them free so that they could worship. I think this is interesting because as we close, I I, want to give you this thought, is that most people think that freedom means promised land. So the people of Israel, they're in captivity in Egypt, and it says God was going to lead them out and lead them to the promised land. Everybody that says yes to Jesus thinks that their life is going to become promised land. I talk to young people all the time. They're like, I'm just mad at God. Why are you mad at God? I went to college, and I didn't get good grades. Well, you didn't study. But I just thought, like, I'm doing all this for you, God. I was on the usher team and the parking team, and, like, I don't know what. No, no you, didn't, you didn't study. But we think, we think it's him because we think that a commitment to God makes sure that we are going to live a perfect promised land life. But the truth is, when the people of Israel were set free, they started wandering in the wilderness. Where's my food going to come from? Is he going to protect us? You know, freedom takes more faith than bondage. Most people don't walk in freedom because they don't have enough faith to. Most scholars would believe that the promised land actually represents heaven. That getting saved out of Egypt and walking with Jesus, this life, is called the wilderness. That actually makes more sense to me. Because I started to think I was doing church wrong. Because I, like, gave God everything. I'm like, I'll give my life to your church and everything. And it's, like, bad out here. People are mean. It's not right. Like, I thought they'd be, like, happy. Like, I thought people, I thought people come to church with smiles on their face. Sometimes y'all come to church and just look mad. Man, what do we do? Because we have this idealism that's connected with religion that says, if I say yes to Jesus, then my life is going to be all promised land. And the promise was not that your life would be all promised land. The promise was that God Almighty 
would link arms with you. And come hell or high water, he said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. The reason I'm setting you free is not so you, your life can be perfect, although that would be nice. The reason that he set us free is so that we might worship him, that all over the planet there would be representations of the goodness and the glory of God, that we with our lives and our jobs, our occupations and our service and our marriages and our families and our parenting, we would worship God. I'm worshiping as I'm preaching. Because I'm using God's gifts. I say, God, thank you for using somebody like me. I'm, wor I'm worshiping as I preach. I worship as I play golf. That's not true. <laughs> God don't make no junk. That's not true. I'm like, that would be, that'd be a disgrace to God to say that my golf is worship. That's more like a feeble attempt at something. Whatever you do, you can worship. And do you know the secret to satisfaction in life? Is not status, significance, amount of followers, amount of money, a 401k, stable economy, kids that love you, spouse that love. It's not any of that. Satisfaction in life is when I fulfill my purpose. Okay, what's my purpose? What job is it? What place is it? What city is it? No, no, no. No, no, no. It's worship. That everything I do... I do unto you. Woo. My whole life, God is for you. Well, I built this business, and I did. Oh man, that's bondage. You're in bondage to the thing you built. But as soon as you let go of it and say, God, this is your this is your business. Thanks for using me. Thanks for using me in it. You're not my job's not my provider. You're my provider. So we all freaked out about the economy. You know, God's been through a couple seasons. He's always taking care of his people. Maybe you're leaning on the government too much. Maybe you should lock arms with your provider. Pretty sure he did good in the wilderness when there was no food. And he said, oh, you want food? Manna. You know what manna means? What is it? That's not a good sign for when God provides food. If I said that at dinner, I'm telling you, it just would not end well. What is it? Jamie would be like, I worked hard. The goal of our life is that we would worship. And friends, that's when, that's when happiness comes. That's when satisfaction comes. It's like my life is, uh, is to worship you. That's when your marriage starts working. That's when your kids start working. That's what, not working, but like, that will be nice too. But that. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3 verse 23 says, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for human masters. Whatever I do, I do as unto the Lord. I speak as unto the Lord. I work as unto the Lord. I serve as unto the Lord. I pray as unto the Lord. I love as unto the Lord. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Because when Moses said, let my people go, he said there's a reason why they need to be set free. And it's not just so they can get to the promised land. That's how a lot of Christians live. I get saved just so I make it into heaven. No, in the wilderness... Let me say it this way. I would rather be free and wander than enslaved and in Egypt. I would rather be free and wander, lock arms with Jesus, than enslaved in isolation in Egypt. Thank you, Jesus, for setting me free. I want to give you three realizations 
and then we're done today. When you're stepping into freedom, there's three realizations you have to have. I have to realize that you have, you have, I have the authority to be free. Not permission, persistence. I don't know if it's God's will for me to be free. Yes, it is. Realize you have the authority to be free. Realize you have, number two, the authority to set others free. Oh, this is like my favorite thing about why we gather. It's just by being in the proximity of somebody with faith. You might walk out and you're like, I feel different. Because there's freedom in, in, the, in the room. Luke 5, 16 is one of my favorite, script, my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. It says, and the power of God was present to heal all who were among them. That means that God can show up in a way, in a room, in a gathering, an atmosphere, where just by being in proximity, you receive something. So I have the authority to be free. I have the authority to set other people free. And I got to realize that I have been set free for a reason. And what's the reason? So that I can worship. I've been set free for a reason. And my life's bad. God must not be. No, 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 no. The Israelites did that all throughout Egypt, all throughout the wilderness. Remember, if you read your, New, your Old Testament, you'll find they say, I think it was better for us in Egypt. And I'll tell you why this. You always remember the perks of slavery and never the pain. Oh, I remember when I could just do what I want, sleep with who I want, drink with what I want. I just, man, it was so fun. You were on the borderline of suicide depressed and you hated your life you remember the freedom but you've forgotten the pain that's what bondage does it tries to keep you by saying there's nothing better than this you're just gonna have to make it with what you have and I'm here to tell you that God has a plan for your life to be free that he wants to set you free and free indeed John chapter 8 Verse 34, it says, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin in bondage. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You are not a slave. You are a son you're a daughter of the Most High God. And the Son, Jesus, has set you free. And not just barely free. Free indeed. Free indeed. I want to ask you to stand.